song you just heard is Dog of War by the Hell Yeah Babies, which means I'm Nick Bond. I'm David Gibb. And this is how wrestling explains the world. Exciting episode today, Dave, and not just because of the topic, but because we're back from our Thanksgiving break. Yeah, definitely. I'm happy to be back here in the old uh, recording studio, the uh, high-ceilinged, cavernous, plaster-walled, bouncy place where where I come to, to have these wonderful conversations with you. Yeah, and this week we are talking about the Four Horsewomen, who, uh, let's start off by making it clear which Four Horsewomen we're talking about. We are talking about Sasha, Bailey, Charlotte. And Becky, right? We're not talking about the other four horsewomen. No, we're not talking of, of the four horsewomen of MMA, who are more recently being referred to as the four horsewomen on WWE TV, but not Ronda Rousey, Shayna Baszler, Jessamyn Duke, and Marina. I remembered Jessamyn, Ronda, and Shayna. I can never remember Marina, which I think is like a like a proxy for her actual impact on the business so far. But yeah, we are talking specifically about the four horsewomen who I think are have a distinction uh, as one of the first meta stables where they're not actually a stable per se, but the understanding on the internet is that they are their own they're their own thing unto themselves separate from the rest of the vision. It's almost like the codification of total divas has on the divas division before the women's revolution but with them for those four specifically where they are kind of i don't want to say elevated above the rest because like alexa's done really well for herself naomi's done well asuka naya there, there are people who are able to compete with them but there is this idea that they are the four the four horsewomen of the the revolution i guess yeah, I think they're kind of like, to compare it to more traditional sports, they're kind of seen as like the greatest draft class of all time. That they're, you know, they're people who really kind of came into the quote unquote league around the same time and like really found their identity together. They're like a, a great draft class or a great college team that somehow carried over into the pros together. And actually, uh, yeah, and uh, Bailey's first, uh, sorry, Charlotte's first matches against Bailey and Sasha Bailey and Charlotte debut pretty close to each other. Like one basically right after the other to the point where, like I said, Charlotte's debut matches against Bailey. And then Becky comes a little bit later, but she was in development at the same time. And an NXT special in the, the world of professional wrestling, because they all work at the performance center. It's very much like the old, the, the highest possible level of like, the old idea of like the wrestling school or a dojo even it, it's 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 somewhat close to like the new japan dojo as far as i'm concerned maybe not at that level they're not producing the same level of talent maybe but i think it's the similar idea and i think in some ways that's where triple h got the idea because that was his, his baby was the performance center and they're the easily for me the crown jewels of that that process the because it, you have guys like seth rollins who were doing stuff before and then came in where these four really came into their own in a very special way through the training they learned at the performance center and their own talents yeah definitely i think they all had kind of distinct backgrounds i mean you have charlotte who was the daughter of rick flair and therefore like talent aside had she had no talent she still would have been a great wrestling prospect because that's just the way wrestling works um but you had her who didn't look like she was going to get involved in wrestling. And then when her brother died, it was like a big motivating factor and stuff. But you had, you know, Beck, and so she came to the performance center that way because Ric Flair was Ric Flair. And, and you know, so of course she was going to get the best training possible. It's like you have Becky Lynch who was trained when she was really young and then kind of walked away from wrestling, but was drawn back in when they opened the performance center. 
the idea of like, hey, here's another path where, you know, you can, you, there, there seems to be some sort of like meritocratic system where you can work your way in again. So she came back for that. And then you have like Bailey, the consummate fan. You have Sasha, the person, the more traditional indie wrestler out of all of them, kind of, you know, who, who worked the, the New England indies up here near where I live. She came up through chaotic wrestling, which is the kind of stepchild of the, the old uh, Killer Kowalski school that produced like Triple H in China and Nick Foley and those folks. Yeah, and and she uh, started in 2010, Bailey started in 2008, Charlotte started basically, I think, in 2012. And like you said, Becky actually probably, I believe, had been wrestling the longest but had stopped. So they have about the same length of career with Bailey, maybe a little bit longer. And I think that they're roughly all the same age except for Sasha, who's a couple of years younger. And there's this idea that they're aware in the same way that, for instance, The Shield was, which is a much more codified grouping of people. I mean, literally, like it is literally here are these three people in a stable together that are the future of the business. I think that that allowed them to lean on each other in a way that you don't really get to you used to not be able to see in wrestling so clearly without it having it be like ruin the magic like it is really cool to see that the four of these these four performers lean on each other whether it be emotionally or in the ring they're very comfortable with each other like there is a lot of good that comes from this level of competition it's very iron sharpening iron oh yeah very much iron sharpening iron and very much positive interdependence like you contrasted them with the shield it's like you had you know rollins and ambrose who were already super established indie wrestlers who if it hadn't worked out for them in the wwe could have easily turned around and capitalized on you know what what's happened in the last couple years in the indie market uh roman reigns on the other hand someone who was like a blue chipper and probably was was event as we have seen right was eventually going to make it no matter what but on the other hand you had people like bailey sasha and becky all three of them could have easily not happened could have not been phenomenons in nxt that became phenomenons on the main roster you know what i mean like charlotte like i said was was rick flair's daughter and was probably going to be a star as long as she had at least some degree of talent because of that but you definitely got the feeling with those four women that they they really worked together and understood that, you know, the best thing to do was for all four of them to make it. Like no one in that equation was selfish. Like I said, they were a great, they were a great draft class, but they weren't people who who allowed egos to let them get split up around the league. They all committed to, you know, making it work with the salary cap and staying on the same team. I'm sorry, this metaphor is getting really, really, really tired, but there was this kind of positive interdependence that you felt between them that they really wanted to make it together. They all wanted to make it, and the only people they could really rely on or count on felt like each other. So every night they were out there with each other, they were they were giving their most and just like really, really trying to get over and doing what they all needed to do. And I think it's really important to note how unselfish in general the four of them are. There's this really awesome, like Charlotte loses a lot of matches to these, these women. And I think when you look at Charlotte, because Charlotte's, we keep on saying if she wasn't talented, let's just get it out of the way. Charlotte's unbelievably talented. All of Oh yeah, she's 
she's I, I will say she's the best and she should be the champion like if you want someone to be the the wwe women's champion it should be charlotte because number one she's rick flair's daughter and that's a thing that means a thing and i like hate that i say that first but it's a thing that means a thing and i'm not sorry about it because it's like a huge legacy in wrestling that she deserves to be able to leverage um, yeah, she earned being able to say that she is the scion exactly. of one of the most, maybe the most important wrestler They've of all time. They only recently started calling her Charlotte Flair. I mean, she made her name as just Charlotte, and you probably had to watch for a couple of weeks before you realized, oh, hey, she's Ric Flair's daughter. But, like, it's only recently she's become Charlotte Flair. And like I said, it's it's not something she's been given. I'm, I'm not in the... Uh, Charlotte's an entitlement monster club. Definitely not, not at all. I'm a hugely team Charlotte. Like I said, she should be the champion. She's Ric Flair's daughter. She's tall. She's a legitimate athlete. She can make the holds look good. She has the long main event style matches that, that like that almost the kind of like new Japan style matches that these four women put on, which we'll, we'll talk about later. But I mean, I, I think that, yeah, it, it's easy to say that, it, well, of course, Charlotte's Ric Flair's daughter. But I mean, she every she is Ric Flair's daughter. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, she she <laughs> is the embodiment of women's pro wrestling in a way that even Rousey can't be because Rousey isn't a pro wrestler. Rousey's an MMA fighter who's transitioning into doing pro wrestling now. You look at Charlotte; and she's clearly, I think, the blue chip physical talent of the... like Rocky Maivia. She's yeah. like a blue chipper, like Rocky Maivia. But I think in terms of talking, I don't think she's bad. Becky is the best talker right now i think i think she does the best both because she also does social media so well that it actually like transitioned her character into this like folk hero almost like she is beloved and she every single time she comes out backs it up as far as i'm concerned like on the mic she's good in the ring good to she's good in the ring and she can have a great match she to me is a great talker right now and i think that's something that the women's division i don't want to say lacked completely but it wasn't she is the strongest talker i think on either show except for maybe daniel bryan and i think that's a really important thing i think the idea of her as the man to take from rick flair isn't like i think that's accurate i think right now she is the the person everybody's looking to to lead the company on some level yeah definitely i mean she very much in the ways you described i mean you could have you could have been talking about steve austin right there like you said that i think that she's a that she's a, a very good worker and watching some uh, watching some more vintage stuff as we prepare for this show she's definitely pared down what she does in the ring a lot which in my eyes is always the sign that somebody's becoming like a really good mature main event wrestler uh, especially if they're a heel but i mean and is becky Lynch a heel i would say yes but people still like her and i guess that's fine but 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 i think that she really is the austin right now i think that she she's austin in the sense that like you said she's she's a good enough worker to really carry off a style that's like tough and gritty and that people get behind and that she has a promo style that connects with people and, and that, that her stuff feels more real, more intense, stands above the realness of anything else on, on those main roster shows right now. And I think much like Austin in 96, it seems like this is a spot where I mean, if you see what's been going on with the WWE main roster and I don't watch it super closely 
because I, I don't care to. But it, it, <laughs> it, it seems like she, in some way, really is their their best chance to catch a spark, that she is either going to continue to get bigger and bigger and dig them out of a hole, or she's still going to do just fine, do great, but their their heat and their momentum as a company is going to start to tail off. I feel like it's, it, it is the thing. It's like, wow, she's the person. It's like, is she going to pick up the baton? Can she do it? Like, it really is that moment for her. I think it is. She, they're calling her the man. She calls herself the man. She carries herself like the man. They're presenting her as the man. Now it's like, the question is, it's like, okay, can she be the man and carry them through a time where it feels like they, they're wanting to swoon? Yeah, and I, I feel like the talent at the roster, both on the men and women's sides, but on the women's side in particular, is really what's, like, keeping them afloat. I think they're doing better than, like, say, let's say Dave Meltzer says. But I think that she is the, like you said, the difference between them being okay through the Fox contract and actually making Fox money on that contract. Like she is one of the few money people in the business right now. And I think that she has, like we've said, the in-ring talent to actually meet expectations on that. Like every match she has, you're like, she's good. There's no like, uh, I really wish she would do blank better. Like she's not Charlotte, but Charlotte is the only person that is Charlotte. Um, And I think, you look at them, and I think it, it, it is a microcosm of SmackDown in general that they're doing really well. I think SmackDown has its moments where it's not the best show, but overall, SmackDown is a consistent worth a show wa- worth watching every single week. And there are very Charlotte and and especially especially Becky are a really large part of that. But then you look on Raw and you see Bailey and Sasha definitely struggling to maintain their spot and i think it's partially because of ronda coming in and kind of being a vacuum at the top not in a bad way for her like it's not ronda's fault that she is a vacuum at the top of the card but i think that she is like a no fly zone for them i think sasha and bailey have done a really good job of working within those confines to still produce really high quality stuff. Like in the second part of the episode, we're going to do some residual viewing and we're going to talk about some of their matches and, and one in particular. I think that they've done a really good job with the the Ruby Riots of the world of being that those that pair of people that kind of brings up the rest of the division because they're never going to have a bad match. Right now, they remind me a lot of... Um, Arn and Tully, in terms of their hands, they're there to put on a good match every single night. They're not heels, they're the face version of them, but I think there's a lot of parallels for me, not just in the Four Horsemen context, but in the fact that they're two of the best workers on the roster, and they are in a tag team specifically designed to make everyone look good around them. No, I was going to compare them actually to, uh, to to Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton, like to that version of the Midnight Express where they started off as kind of cool heels and then transitioned into being baby faces. I think there's a lot of similarities of just being the, the good hand team that's going to go out there and have a really, really good match, even with people who are a little less experienced. Because I mean, we talk about these, the horsewomen, what they had going for them before they even got to the main roster was like all this time working together in NXT. And you see the other groups of three or four women that they've brought up uh, together at a time in the subsequent years. And they, it seems like each one, there's like slightly less seasoning to the group. But I think that, that, that Bailey and Sasha are really out there kind of 
not patching holes, that's a rough way to say it. Uh, but 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 definitely, like you said, really doing yeoman's work or yo women's work. Is that a, is that yeah. a word? <laughs> yeah, well, it is now, goddammit. There, uh, there, it is now. It should be. It's 2018, <laughs> goddammit. There can be yo women. Um, but, uh, but, but, but no, I, I think you're absolutely correct. It was wild. Uh, I, I was watching, like I said, doing some research, watching some matches, uh, with my wife earlier. And, uh, we were watching the big, uh, Bailey Sasha match, uh, from, uh, takeover Brooklyn that we're going to talk about in the second half of the show. So I'm not going to say anything specifically, but it was wild. I kind of turned to my wife at one point in that match right before the finish. And I said, like, in hindsight, this could be the biggest moment of either of these women's careers. Like when we talk about Becky and we talk about Charlotte, we're talking about like Austin and Rock, people who could be carrying the company for the next five years. And when we're talking about Sasha and Bailey, I mean, we're talking about people who I guess kind of like ran up maybe against that Vince McMahon wall. People like to kind of straw man or, you know, like I said, it's a straw man argument, but, <laughs> but ran up against that wall of being on the main roster on Raw and maybe not like looking like people who have been stars before they're looked and not wrestling like people who had been stars there before wrestled and and not having characters that that maybe people the people who were in charge of creative could sink their teeth into and stuff but what a contrast of two and two uh looking back now with charlotte and becky they have certain advantages and number one to me is how bad raw is raw is unwatchable right now it is some of the worst wrestling television since late WCW because they, I mean, a lot of people are injured. The format of the show is a problem. You can't keep doing three hours. You just can't. There's not enough interesting stuff to go along. You know what, Nick? I, I actually almost wrote a column about this this week and then I decided like, oh, writing about wrestling on the internet, who cares about that anymore, you know? Uh, but I almost wrote a column about this this week, so I'm just going to throw it out there right now. I thought that this Raw, there, there was this perfect, like, microcosm of, of, like, just WWE Raw and what's up with it, where you had the, early in the show, you had the Braun Strowman at the doctor's office showing off his big bruise and talking about how he was going to, like, come back better and stronger than ever. And, like, that was, like, and then later on the show, you had the Dean Ambrose getting the inoculations at the doctor promo, where like he's cutting this great promo about like you're so dirty and I have no respect for you, but in the background there's like comedically large syringes and ultimately there's a joke about one of them going in his butt, and so it's just like so so you have two wrestler at the doctor segments on the same like television show because like you said you need you need length so like you're gonna do repetitive stuff like that and then one of them is supposed to be really really serious and be like building sympathy for this guy who's gonna come back as a big baby face you know and, and hopefully you know get the title at wrestlemania or whatever and and but then the other one is just like kind of like a just supposed to be part of this heat getting promo but like he's he's cutting the promo but then they're undermining it with the like with the bad acting, with the doctor like flicking at every needle 70 times and holding it up to the light like they do in old movies. You know, it was just like, but that was just a microcosm to me of just everything that's wrong with Raw is that they did those those two segments, each one of which could have been good, but like the, just the, 
I, I can't, it just bleh, just everything was so bleh right there. And the, the, the contrast of those two going to the doctor, the idea of two going to the doctor segments, you know what I mean? It just blew my mind. Like one you have to have because Braun Strowman just got out of surgery. Yeah. The other one, you can wait until next week for. Or do you <laughs> like, cut the promo backstage or in whatever dark secluded corner of the boiler room you want and just have him say, I'm going to the doctor and I'm going to get inoculated against this and this and this and this. Yeah. You can, because you're yeah. so I'm, not, I'm in the in the uh, building, but I'm not going to go out there with you. Because, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because what, and this is an aside and we will get back. At least he would live in the, at least he would be living in the wrestling world. I don't think we should be sending more than one person out into the real world, quote unquote, each episode, you know, but that's a whole other discussion. And they did this with um, Sasha and Bailey, actually. They love fucking sending people to fake doctors. They fucking <laughs> love it. Actually, what's funny is that uh, this is a bit of inside baseball. Our friend Darren was off camera during that that first scene where they go to the like waiting room he was actually is supposed to be in that but they cut him for uh, i guess he's too handsome um, but yeah like that would have to be the problem <laughs> and i think that like in particular they have been the first group because what they thought they were going to get was the daniel bryan kane thing where they caught lightning in a bottle and kane and daniel bryan went from like mid Carter who occasionally was in the main event based on sheer talent to like one of the top people in the industry. That's not going to happen with these two. And there's a couple of reasons, but number one is the storyline made no sense. I like where they ended up, which is that Sasha and Bailey are best friends and actual best friends that I no longer have to worry about them breaking up because they sincerely care about each other and were willing to do shit to protect each other. Like they have turned that they got through that, but it, they didn't need to have Dr. Shelby show up. <laughs> no, definitely not. And I think it, it's, it's an interesting, it's like an interesting example to bring up. And I'm glad you did because like we were saying before, like, or I said specifically, I won't uh, pass it off on you. I'm not going to pass it here. Uh, but like I was saying before, it's like, you know, you always kind of hear the thing that like, well, uh, Vince doesn't get it with Bailey. And you always used to hear like, well, Vince doesn't get it with Daniel Bryan. And the Dr. Shelby stuff was what made Vince get it with Daniel Bryan. And it seems like there's almost a self-conscious attempt to like, well, I don't understand Bailey's connection with the fans in the same way that I didn't understand Daniel Bryan's, you know, sincere baby face, likable boy or girl next door, your best friend or the, the trustworthy, the main character's best friend in the movie who is actually more interesting than the main character. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. that type, like Vince McMahon just doesn't get, but yeah, supposedly the Dr. Shelby stuff was what made him see it in Brian. And it seems like there's this deliberate attempt to recreate it for, for Bailey almost, but it, 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 it the, 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 it does not fit as well. And I think, they also, I love Sasha and Bailey. Um, we'll talk about this in the next episode. It's another thing we're talking about. I was at Brooklyn, the takeover Brooklyn, both the first and the second. I don't remember the second one, but the first one, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the first one in particular is like one of the most special moments. Evolution is the best show I've ever been to, period. The match for. Sasha and Bailey at TakeOver Brooklyn is the best single match I've ever been to. And like you said, that may be the pinnacle, but like, I think if you watch that match, you understand why those two both work really well together and that there's a very clear ceiling that that 
journey is what brought that match to the point where everybody lost their mind for Bailey in particular. Like Bailey was this awesome baby face who worked her way through everything and turned from like um, henchman 21 to like Gary, <laughs> like the grand viceroy. And I think that you can only do that once. And they pushed all of their chips in for NXT and it was worth it. Cause it's one of the defining moments of the ascension of NXT and the women's division, but it's almost like they sacrificed. It's not even that they can't get, they were transcending their own like careers in that moment. And they kind of like, it almost feels like they made a deal with the devil to have this match with so much emotional resonance and so so much power and even at the end of the day, they had the four horsewomen reunite on stage basically for like the last time for all intents and purposes up until whenever they reunite or not reunite but become an actual stable and i think like that's we were the, uh, we were aware when we were in the room that something special was happening and looking back i think we didn't realize that like no they they put as much as you could possibly put out to the fans in that match uh, from like beginning to the end. And I, I feel like that really um, that's, that's like part of, it's the same idea of what you said, but I, I, I almost think that it's not just that there's, they're mired in the muck. I think there's an actual like, no, they had a transcendent performance and you can only catch in those chips. You can only have one girlhood or boyhood dream come true and I think that they had it for Bailey and Sasha. Sasha to me is the, is the ultimate like Tully Blanchard type of just like, she can go with anybody and make anybody look good. I wonder if she's a powerful enough presence as an offensive wrestler to really get to that next level where Charlotte and Becky are. Yeah, well, I, I think I think she could be because when you watch some of the stuff from kind of her peak in NXT, I, I was talking to my wife, Erica, about this earlier today, uh, but she almost has that like old school, like 1980s high flying heel thing where like she wrestles above the ropes a lot, but she's not doing like flips and flies and she's not just doing little topes and planches to people catching her on the floor, or at least she didn't in her prime, like she would come off the ropes with intent, like when she was dropping knees on people and stuff. And she could really pull off the shtick that that she was kind of, like I said, the heel high flyer. Again, to come back to someone I compared you to her in the episode, like beautiful Bobby Eaton, the heel high flyer. You know what I mean? She really had that kind of solidness to her. But it seems like, once again, over the last couple of years, she's she's gotten softened in terms of what she does in the ring by the kind of, TV, I used to call it the SmackDown plancha party, like where one for where two people are fighting on the outside and one person jumps over the ropes onto them and then another person jumps onto the ropes onto them and then another person jumps over the ropes onto them. And then finally the biggest person on the match jump in the match jumps over the ropes onto all of them. Like it, there there's that has crept into her game in the last couple of years, I feel that she used to be, like I said, this kind of old school heel high flyer. And now it's like she she does the exciting moves that get the pops in the matches. Like in some ways she seems like a very road tested experienced wrestler. Like she knows what works and she does it. But like, I, like I said, I, I think that a lot of the, a lot of the main roster shortcuts that, I mean, go back as long as I've been writing or talking about wrestling, like all the main roster shortcuts that they use 
have, have I think really watered down something about her that was a pure old school wrestler. And I think it's the same with Bailey that there, you had a pure old school baby face and a pure old school heel. And that worked, especially then in NXT where the idea was that NXT was very much like more of an old school vibe in the, in the way it was booked more simple, more straightforward. And, and once again, as you say, like, maybe that's a part of the bigger reason why why it hasn't translated. And you, like you said, maybe there was this big moment where they kind of put all their energy together into this big moment that was on the wrong stage. But also it was like, it, it, that's almost a whole other genre. You know what I mean? It's, al- it's, almost like, it, it's almost like they had the greatest Broadway hit of all time, and then they settled into careers as like, you know, solid actors who work in action movies. Yeah, that is like um, a perfect analogy for them. Um, well, Nick, speaking of people who uh, who really work their ass off and, and give it their all for everybody, I mean, it sounds like I'm about to put us over, right? But I'm actually not. I'm going to talk about somebody else. I want to recognize our newest sexy wizard. And he's not just a sexy wizard. He is truly the greatest hero in the history of our podcast. And I really don't think that's hyperbole and in any form or fashion. I think that truly is the truth. Uh, I would like to introduce y'all to our newest sexy wizard, our newest patron. And his name is Henry Bransom, not Bramson or Bransom, like I've been saying all day. Or wait, it is Bransom, like I just said. I kept screwing it up earlier. I kept saying it like uh, Richard Branson earlier. That's what it was. That was the problem. But it's not like Richard Branson. It's Henry Bransom with the N first and then the M at the end. Uh, So he is our newest sexy wizard. He's the greatest hero in history of our podcast because he has seen it in his heart to sponsor an episode of the podcast at great personal expense. I won't say how much because that would be gauche, but uh, he's really going out of his way to really make Christmas for us here at uh, HWETW, and uh, he is sponsoring an episode. So... We are going to kick off the second season of How Wrestling Explains the World in January on the 7th. That's going to be the first Monday, the first full week in January, the 7th. We are going to drop our Arn Anderson episode by request from Mr. Branson, truly the greatest hero in the history of our podcast and a sexy wizard foe show. So get excited for that. Nick and I are definitely going to be trying to pack a lot of value in there. We've actually... Both, uh, we, we've got our fingers moving in some different directions. I'm maybe seeing if we can uh, maybe uh, talk to someone who maybe knew Arn Anderson a little bit. We can see if that informs the podcast. I know Nick has already been talking about literally watching every Arn Anderson match of all time. So we are, uh, we are looking to pack as much value as possible into that Arn Anderson podcast. That's going to be our season two debut the first Monday, the 7th of January, 2019. So thanks so much for Henry Bransom for sponsoring that. And really thanks so much for picking such a juicy topic. I mean, we talked about Arn a little bit when we did uh, Horseman a while back, but I think this is going to be really great because I think Nick and I would, would both agree that, you know, he, he really is he's my favorite wrestler. maybe the, <laughs> he's my favorite wrestler. yeah, he's your favorite wrestler. He's maybe the great pro wrestler in the way that like, the great pro wrestler can't be one of the definitive people. It has to be someone who represents, you know, someone who was maybe a little bit more of like a, a workaday lunchbox kind of guy. And I think he is kind of the definitive workaday lunchbox carpenter guy who made the wrestling business really work. Uh, I, one of the greatest of all time for that reason. So super excited to be talking about Arn Anderson uh, in January. 
and and that will be like for all of these episodes uh, a two-parter um we may stretch it to a three-parter because like dave said i am watching every single arn anderson match so we'll have an essential viewings episode as we usually do but we might also or i might just record a hidden gems video i I haven't decided but in the second season you're going to see a a noticeable um just because we finally figured out what we want from the show not to get too inside baseball but uh we now know what we can provide for you guys the sexy wizards the heroes of the podcast uh going forward in a way that i'm really excited for uh, on top of the the youtube videos starting up and the podcast beyond which is also a uh perk for joining the sexy wizard army absolutely and there's several more there is of course the shout out which anybody gets even if you just give us one dollar a month you get a shout out on the show like i just gave henry earlier we recognize you for your uh incredible greatness your contribution your magnanimity however many letters are in that word uh we uh, will recognize all that good stuff for you for just $1. At $2, you also get the follow-up files notes for the episodes. I know I still owe you guys one of those because I am the worst. And uh, my parents were here for Thanksgiving, and I was in charge of, you know, cooking the turkey and making all the sides, and my wife was working that night, so she wasn't here, and I had to host everything. And it, it was really a lot of responsibility, and I, I've just been, you know, shivering under a blanket, recovering from from all that time being in charge of hosting a, a holiday get-together, even if you're from a small family like mine. Uh, holiday hosting responsibilities are, are quite exhausting. But enough, you don't, you don't care about me. You don't care about me. I, I'm behind. But I'll catch up uh, for all of you on those uh, follow-up files. Uh, uh, this week, you'll get both the one that we missed, uh, the Fallout episode, and you'll get, of course, this Four Horsewomen one as well. So that, those $2 follow-up files... Those give you all sorts of info about the episode, all sorts of like articles about ideas we talked about, all sorts of explanations of our shorthand and our slang and our allusions with an A. Um, and when we talk about matches or different moments, I try to either find you a link to somewhere where it's hosted and not likely to go down tomorrow, uh, or I will link you directly using time cues to a spot on the WWE Network. So it really is a great companion piece. You know, like when you read Faulkner and you got to have the book next to it that tells you how to read the Faulkner, or when you read Joyce and you got to have the book next to you that tells you how to read the Joyce. Well, the follow-up files are really the uh, the, the the companion piece for the postmodernist soup that, that is this show. So that's at the $2 level, and then it goes all the way up there. You could be truly one of the greatest heroes in the history of our podcast, like Henry. Although, as of right now, he, he stands alone at the top of Mount Olympus, and the rest of us are really just looking up at him uh, basking in the glory as we can so uh, check it out if you're interested in helping us out really making our christmas uh join up at patreon.com slash hwetw by the way it's just the holiday season in the end of the year i say christmas because i raised i was raised catholic went to catholic school i'm the fucking worst uh, i know that you don't give a shit about christmas so you don't have to give a shit about christmas i don't give a shit about christmas either but i do give a shit about patreon and i do give a shit about this show and i do give a shit about y'all so uh jump on the train if you care to if you really appreciate this or another great way to show us that you appreciate us if you don't feel like reaching in your pocket is to reach into your little black book if you still have one or the contacts list in your phone, which is probably the case, and just recommend us to one or two of your friends and maybe they'll give us the money. It's like that pyramid scheme thing. You, know, you can't give us the money, at least ask three other people if they'll give us the Yeah, money. we are nothing if not a multi-level marketing scheme. No, I'm kidding. Uh- it's an inverted funnel. <laughs> 
Yeah, and uh, so next episode, the part two, we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about the overall timeline of their career. So I don't want to step on too much stuff we're doing next episode. But for this episode, the question I've been thinking about the entire time is, of the four horsewomen, who has the most potential to be the greatest of all time women's performer and who may go down, uh, who do you think will go down as the best among the four? Cause I think those are two very different people personally. Yeah. Wow. That, that's a big question. And, and, and it's like, I, I should qualify. I feel like I haven't said that if this is any point in this episode, so I should get it out there that I think all four of them are great and are like era defining performers and like yeah. choosing a best one of them. It's like, which of my four fingers do I like the best? You know what I mean? So um, I think they're all great, number one. For the reasons I said earlier, I think that Charlotte is the easiest to carve onto a potential Mount Rushmore. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah you know what I'm saying? So, Mount Rushmore talent. She's not Mount Rushmore talent just because, number one, like I said, it's unavoidable. Her familial connection to the business. It's just such a great historic story that the daughter of the great male wrestler of one era became the great wrestler of two eras later. You know what I mean? Like that, that, yes. that, that, that's just such an undeniably great story. And, and she's so good at, at paying tribute to him without imitating him. You know what I mean? And, and, and she's her own thing. And, and as the WWE moves into this world of kind of inviting more sort of megastar sports women to the party, like with Rousey, I think that she, like I was saying before, like is the great embodiment of the, the pro wrestler, like the, the culmination of the, the, the American catches catch can professional wrestling style, as they used to say in like the old AWA stuff, you know, like she is the culmination of the last 30 years of wrestling in a way that I think makes her the person to carve on Mount Rushmore. On the other hand, if you're talking about the person who, who has the matches, which was kind of the other part of it, I do think Sasha Banks is probably the best and most versatile quote unquote worker. Um, like we were saying before, like, I, I think that she has that like Bobby Eaton ability or, or, or you were comparing her to like a Tully Blanchard, like that ability to make anybody look good to, to dig down and really find that kind of, like I said, especially as a heel, to really find that kind of grit in herself that, that make her moves really, really solid and they make everything really matter. And that, that always makes the other person look good too. Cause she's just a bump machine. Uh, when you, when you go back and watch all the matches, she's incredible. Um, in the same way, you know what I'm saying, that like Tully or whoever else you want to compare her to was. But so so I think that Charlotte is kind of the Mount Rushmore figure. But on the other hand, I think Sasha, I mean, you compared Sasha earlier to Tully, another person who she, like the, her great hero was Eddie Guerrero. So once again, as, as that kind of like once in a generation person who, you know, Kurt Hennig, the, the person who was just the fucking worker who, who really held it down and, and, you know, everybody had their best match with her kind of thing. I think that's Sasha Banks. Yeah, I think, and, and I want to preface this by saying, obviously Dave and I are in total agree. I think these are four, my four favorite performers. Uh, definitely Charlotte and Becky are my two favorite performers right now, period. Just, they are. I think they're the two best performers in the WWE right now. I don't really think it's close outside of heel Daniel Bryan. Like, I think they are a special kind of special that you only get to see every 10 years. I think personally, I, I, I diverge with you a little bit. I think 
Becky is the one that really feels like she's going to have that kind of like historic impact on the business though she may not win the most championships per se i think that she and this we we talked about this earlier she is the right combination of unbelievably physically talented and a great worker and also a great promo like she is not at charlotte's level i actually think if you were to rank them in terms of in-ring acumen she's fourth but i don't think that's a knock i think you're talking about four of the 10 best women in america probably 10 of four of the top six or seven and in the world you're probably talking to four out of the top 20 and that's a big deal because joshi wrestling in japan is a lot more advanced in a lot of different ways than uh american women's wrestling though there are issues like new japan not having a women's division but that that's a whole other episode i think in terms of she is going to be the stone cold of this generation where people will wear her shirts and she will be the one that people are like, I started watching because of Becky Lynch. Like she is really at that level for me of just being a transcendent star that they can actually strap the company to, to bring them to another level. And I don't know if Charlotte can do that. I think Charlotte is maybe the best Though I think I'm in agreement with you. I think Sasha's actually, like, if you were to go solely on acumen in the ring, she's she's probably has a slight edge over Charlotte in the sense that I think that she is a much better um, sell, seller. I think she's a, a pretty good offensive worker in terms of her presence and the fact that she doesn't suffer from aj lee syndrome where you're too small to make it or zelina vega where it's oh you're almost too small to really make it feel like you're having an impact it's closer to like the and i don't think this is a coincidence eddie guerrero of oh my god i can't believe how someone that size can make such a big impact and i think that's the ways in which she's special is she has these hard-hitting moves that really transcend her size in a way that you kind of forget that she's so much smaller than the people she's competing against. Yeah, and I think that she also, I think that she has an old school psychology that like Charlotte doesn't too. Like I think that Charlotte is very much kind of like new era pro wrestling where she's she's definitely about like the emotional roller coaster and like hitting the big spots and like doing the big corkscrew moonsault to the outside in every big match you know what i mean what i would call like the the kind of modern main event style whereas like and we'll talk about this more in the second half but like sasha's got that thing where like she's got you in a hole and she's adjusting her grip and tightening it and when you stick your arm out to get the rope she shoots her leg out and traps your arm with her leg and kicks it back or she stomps on your fingers or whatever like like Sasha really has that like really solid old school wrestling psychology where like even though she doesn't do like a corkscrew moonsault she like doesn't really have to do a corkscrew moonsault because she she makes all the little stuff so meaningful mm-hmm, yeah and I think I, and we want we neither of us picked Bailey for any of these but I don't think it's a knock against Bailey per se it's just again these are such talented performers I think she might be the second best in ring performer I think you could talk me into it that she's on Charlotte's level when she's doing very well and I think her connection to the fans might actually be uh before Becky became the man was the best but I I wonder if Bailey will be the like 
one who is left behind by the four horse woman idea and not just because she stinks. Yeah, I think that she's someone who, if you reassembled the four of them, like in, in a way on TV, I, I almost think that she would have to be the person who healed and turned on the rest of the team. Like that's how you would need to do it with Bailey if you put them back together again. I think that like Bailey has something really, really special. And like I would have told you in like 2015, 2016, that she was like one of my very, very, very favorite wrestlers. I mean, I, I think that she's like, She's the closest thing within her generation to like a Ricky Steamboat. Or, I mean, I, I, I compare Kazuchika Okada to Ricky Steamboat a lot, but I would say Bailey and then Okada are, are the one and two for who's the most like Ricky Steamboat, where she's just a pure baby face who could just sell and sell and sell, and you feel it with her, and you want her to succeed. And like when it seems like she can't do something she either wills herself to or it feels like the crowd is part of willing her to do it she's just the consummate pure baby face and to see her work in front of a crowd that's really into her and that wants to to play the old school pro wrestling baby face heel game i i don't think that you can create a more emotionally satisfying win than one for oh, baby totally you know what i'm saying like in in that regard just old school baby face i think She's the purest and the best, but the way the way the book is different on the main roster, like I said, the, the difference between like uh, the theater and the, the difference between the stage and and movies, you know, it's kind of similar that the, the way the crowd reacts, number one, and the way they book number two is so different that it's like maybe just WWE isn't the right stage for her. But but like I said, I think I think she's the the heel turn is kind of the trump card where like you know, you can't undo it once you've done it, but I think that, I think that it's worth trying once, <laughs> you know, I, I would like to see it. Yeah. Yeah. She has, she almost has that like Mariana Rivera thing where she's the best at her very specific role relative to them. She blows them out of the, or did. And again, until Becky, whatever Becky secret sauce, whatever. But before that, Bailey was the best. She was better at being a pure babyface than any of the rest. And I think she's kind of lost some of that. But I think ultimately all four of these women are going to be incredibly successful. But like you said at the very beginning, I think that there is, you can see a ceiling with Bailey in a way that you can kind of see it with Sasha and you really can't see it with uh, Charlotte and Becky. Yeah, I definitely, I don't think that's fair. They're all different wrestlers. And I think part of it, it, it kind of gets back to kind of a, once again, kind of an old school idea that at the, and I, I, this is, this is mean, this is a mean word. Um, but uh, like part of Bailey's gimmick, part of her character is that she's a mark. And I think there's something kind of contemptible about that, especially for fans who consider themselves quote unquote smart. You know what I mean? And I think that that's something that's become an anchor to her. Like I said, I love her as just a pure baby face. I think she's great. I think her matches are so satisfying when she gets the win and you're you're dying for her when she doesn't. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I think that the character, at least as portrayed on the main roster, comes across a little bit like a mark. And I think that that's something that's that maybe if there wasn't a ceiling, that's something that's imposed a ceiling. Yeah, and I think that's what I mean. Is I think she can transcend, she can break through that ceiling, but it's not the, there is, I don't want to say there's no glass ceiling because that's insane, but I feel like the glass ceiling, and Becky mentioned this, is there is no, that's not there for 
Becky and Charlotte in a lot of ways, where I feel like Bailey is stuck in a glass ceiling that's not necessarily women versus men, but pure role players who are really great at, let's say, to use another sports analogy, three-point shooting and can defend, but they're not, the they can't create their own shot. And I think Bailey's problem is that, uh, for lack of a better, like to stretch this metaphor, she can't create her own shot in the way the other three can. So I think she is limited by her circumstances in the way the other three are. Yeah, I think that that's a, uh, I definitely think that that's an apt analogy as well. There's just that, that little something missing. But as we say, like, I mean, I've said this time and time, it's like, a wrestling card, a wrestling show, a wrestling promotion can be made out of a lot of imperfect parts. In fact, like if you're if you're expecting people not to have warts and if you're expecting everybody to be the complete performer, like that's, you know, you're, you're kind of lying to yourself. And I, I think that one of the things that people always credit good wrestling uh, for doing that bad wrestling doesn't do, and when people compliment like Paul Heyman, this is always something they say, right? It's like the, it's the old thing about like, distracting away or drawing attention away from the shortcomings and accentuating the the good bits right the old classic wrestling line that everybody says about taking chicken shit and making it into chicken salad or making chicken salad out of chicken shit is actually how it's phrased uh but anyway but like and i feel like what's what's going on with bailey or what's happened with bailey is is an example of a failure of that at the highest level in the sport they're like here's someone who is so talented, who's, who the people have been so behind, you know, in your system, more or less, like it, it, it just seems like the, that she's just one of the biggest dropped balls of the modern era. And it's a shame really that I, 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 the, the women's, uh, the women's matches and women's angles and women's stuff is undeniably the most interesting part of the WWE main roster and certainly has been for, I would say all of 2018, the women's stuff has been the, the most consistently interesting stuff. And that's not because though they still have, and, and um, I think we can end on this, um, that we have finally moved past the first for everything. And we've started to get into the, like, can they do it again? That like fun part of the, when a sequel works really well, kind of vibe where it's not necessarily like a sequel or it's the second part of that story. We've entered the second act of the rise of the women's division. And I think that's why 2018 works so well. And I think uh, in the next episode, um, we will be talking about uh, those the, the, how we got there, more or less. Uh, but before we do that, uh, did you have anything to plug today? Oh, well, as always, people can follow me on Twitter at Dave Writes Junk. You'll get any updates about anything related to me, and you'll probably get a bunch of bad jokes, and I'll tweet some GIFs from, like, old 16-bit video games. It'll be great. Follow me on Twitter at Dave Writes Junk. And uh, if there's anything else you need to hear about, you'll hear about it there. Don't forget to uh, consider Patreon. Uh, if you're interested in becoming a patron, or even if you just uh, like the Beatles, uh, you should go to patreon.com slash H-W-E-T-W. And I wrote a little fan appreciation song to the tune uh, of uh, Happiness is a Warm Gun. It's called Happiness is a Patron. So uh, you all should check that out. It's for free. It's unlocked. So even if you're not a patron, you can check it out. Uh, but I, I would hope that while you're also you're checking it out, you would also consider uh, signing up. You know that one or two dollars, get the shout out, get the follow up files, uh, really help us sustain. You know they always talk about that on public radio, public television. It's great uh, when we have people like Henry who come through and you know really make our Christmas 
uh, but we also need those sustaining folks who are just going to help us cover the bills month to month. So if you could find it in your heart to uh, make our Christmas, make our holiday season, I need to stop saying Christmas, goddammit. I'm the worst. I'm like the worst liberal ever. What the fuck? Uh, anyway, so uh, patreon.com slash HWETW. Give us the money if you want. And you can check me out at uh, the next there's T-H-E-N-1-C-K-S-T-E-R. You can check us out at H-W-E-T-W pod on Twitter. And you can also download, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff to us at howwrestlingexplains.podbean.com on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and the Google Play Store. Um, and yeah, I think that that's it. We will see you guys tomorrow. We trained every single day together. This is what we have worked for. Okay? I remember the day I called my dad and I said, I have met the most talented, amazing women. He goes, you know what? They sound like the horsemen. Horsemen. And then we, you know, we continued and then I said, you know what, dad? Maybe we're the horsewomen. When I said that, I literally thought he was going to disown me. But then he goes, you know what? If they are who they say they are, then you guys truly are the horsewomen. I hate to admit when I'm wrong, but that's why I brought the both of you out here to apologize in front of all of you to apologize, okay? I want to apologize. And I want to apologize to everyone sitting at home. Dad, I'm sorry. whatever you want, but come WrestleMania, you are going to know me as plain old Becky Lynch, the woman that's ripping off your arm and taking your title. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. No. You're taking the title, sweetheart. I'm the one who pinned Charlotte for the NXT Women's Championship. A matter of fact, Ever since I debuted, I have yet to be beaten. That's right, boo-boos, check the record book. Ever since I've been on Raw and SmackDown, I have yet to be pinned. So I sure as hell deserve to be here, unlike you. Uh-oh, is right. <laughs> Dollar store jewelry did the trick. Here they go. Come on, here they go. Come on. Yeah. Hey, hey, here they, here they go. Yeah. What are they doing? They just struck Charlotte. She is the champion. Oh, backsplash for the champion. Are you oh, kidding me? It's going to get worse. Oh, no. Oh. A backstabber to Boots so the Divas champion on the outside. Three combustible ingredients which should lead to an explosive triple threat match. Misinformed, must be I for you to bite your tongue secure.